0: Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're joined by a very special guest uh, who actually requested the movie that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Please give a warm welcome to B Stewart.
1: Hi everyone, it's an honor to be here.
0: Yes. Yes. B has been one of our uh, biggest boosters on Twitter, definitely giving the podcast lots of love. And uh, she gave us a movie recommendation for Parasite.
2: This is a contemporary foreign language thriller with class themes directed by Bong Joon-ho. The cast includes Kang Ho Song, Sun Kyun Lee, Yeo Jiang Jo, Wu Sik Choi, and So Dom Park.
0: I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on YouTube. B,
2: how did you watch it?
1: I watched it on iTunes, but I'm hoping to see it in theaters at some point.
2: Oh, yeah? I mean, we have to hurry up, right? Because it's going to be out pretty soon.
1: <laughs> well, um, actually, I saw... I I believe that Bong Joon-ho said that he's going to try to re-release it in black and white. He originally wanted to shoot the movie in black and white, but it didn't seem like it was going to sell that well. Um, I think it would have sold well either way, but he thought that color would be better commercially. But I think Hmm. that they're reissuing it.
2: That's really cool.
0: Wow, imagine like, <laughs> trying to market black and white and subtitles to an American audience. And oh, it's yeah, not yeah. even a
2: remake. It would have won this year's uh, Academy Award as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Joey, why don't you give us the synopsis for Parasite?
2: Uh, gladly. Family values reign supreme as an entire family finds employment under a single roof.
0: That's Parasite. Let's get right into it with our pros and cons. We'll start with you, B. What did you like about Parasite?
1: Okay, so the first thing that really struck me was just the pacing. Definitely scenes even when they aren't directly intense or life or death, they feel very high stakes and just gripping. I was like out of breath by the end of the movie. That there's a scene I'm sure we'll get into it later involving a party and a cake. And um, definitely did not breathe for a solid three or four minutes there, just, like, covering my face, absolutely terrified. Um, also, as well, the acting, obviously, got to hand it to everyone involved. My personal standouts were Song Kang-ho, who is the father of the poor family, Park So who is the daughter of the poor family, and Cho yo for her amazing performance as the sort of not entirely their mother of the rich family.
0: Ah, yes, the um, madam. Awesome.
1: Yes, the <laughs> madame. Um, so also, I just really liked how universal the message was, even though it definitely takes place in Korea and there's a lot of Korean cultural references. It's just, it's so easy to connect with for anyone, no matter your social standing. Um, and then obviously the cinematography, it's just, it's gorgeous. Every shot looks like it could be a painting. I love it so much.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, you said gripping. That is exactly the word I want to use because it's so... uh, As soon as I turned this movie on, I just couldn't look away. And... I like I was trying to write down quotes and stuff but I was just like so enthralled and my mouth was hanging open for probably yeah. at least an hour. Even
1: my second watch through to get quotes, I every time I paused, I felt like I was interrupting something. It was just
0: uh, Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. I actually because I was like constantly pausing to take notes. You can't take notes and read subtitles at the same time. So it added like almost like an hour and a half onto my watch time for this film because it took so long. Yeah. But once I got to that scene you were mentioning with the the party and the cake. I was like, "I'll take notes later." I'm not.
1: Yeah, you cannot. This. You cannot <laughs> pause. I think it's like a crime to pause during yeah. that scene.
2: Oh no! I, I, what I really admire about this movie is that it, everything revolves around this really well explored theme um, of the difference in class, and it's just. Everything supports that, uh, from like the directing to the editing to the acting to the to the cinematography, all of that to
1: the set design.
2: Exactly, all of that just fits into this one thing. It really hammers home its message. Um, And uh, I I want to call this movie cerebral without being trippy. There's not a lot of there's no like necessarily in your face special effects or you know really unique settings or something like that. It's or characters. It's really just like a, a. a human drama, but told in a way that's just haunting, um, which it makes leaves you with a feeling long after you're finished with it.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree, especially with um, like the the setting. I, I thought it was not only shot beautifully, but shot in a way that kind of made Korea into it's a very unique place. I've never been to Korea; haven't really. Seen a lot of pictures of Korea, I guess, and to me it just seemed like this bizarre, like otherworldly place where everything is kind of crammed together and stacked on top of each other. Um, it, it was, it, it felt very uh, different, but I could also see uh, like shadows of the same, you know, society that I live in here. You know, I didn't have to be Korean to understand the class struggle that was going on, but at the same time it felt like a completely different place. Um, that being said, the like the fact that this is about class issues i think that's important and also really interesting uh the tension like you guys mentioned i'll just echo that sentiment i was like gripping the armrests on my recliner (laughs) the whole movie um is and we'll bring up a couple specific times where i like yelled out um and something that i think is super important especially for people who are like on the Fence about whether or not they want to watch this movie. The subtitles were not an issue. um I'm hundred percent. Yeah, like maybe I don't know. I I have uh, um, you know I have been watching anime lately, so I, I have been.
1: <laughs> kinda... I've been watching anime since I was like twelve. You're fine. <laughs> no, but
0: I mean, like I've practiced reading subtitles and still having something compelling that you need to look at. Some people get frustrated having to like move their eyes up and down. But by the end of this movie, I almost felt like I could just. In- understand korean because it it just flowed so well
1: you just melt right into it you like don't even realize that you're reading it just feels like you're just absorbing everything directly into your brain yes
0: that's a great way to put it Um, okay so those are the pros let's talk cons b what did you not like about parasite
1: Okay, so I tried really hard to come up with cons for this because I just I you're gonna be able to tell through this episode. I just adore this movie so much. I had to get you guys to talk about it. The one thing that has stuck with me as just not being great was the weird romance between Kiwu or Kevin, the poor son, and Dahe, the rich daughter. Um, like I when I first watched it, it was just very jarring to me. I stepped away from the movie for a while watched video essays and talked about it way too much as you do (laughs) saw some people (laughs) arguing that like it sort of shows that he is willing to sacrifice morals to get into like higher society i thought that was sort of a compelling read of it i was like maybe it's okay Rewatched it yesterday still grossed me out i still i just can't get past that and like every time that i was like maybe it is just him using her to get into the family it'll cut to a shot of them just like making out when there's no one around and there's nothing to gain from it and so i i don't know
2: i i think like fooling her right is part of this Whole narrative right yeah whatever she writes in her diary or whatever is going to influence the way she sees him and you know she could make up any sort of reason to get rid of him right so if he if he wants to secure his place in the house i thought this was something that he had to do right the one when the mom is talking about how uh like min treated her and how like uh, he it's more important that like she you know that it's more important than our than our grades like we have we had a good feeling about yeah there has me, to right? be a connection right yeah i felt like that was code for like hey i'm setting you up like my thirsty daughter is after <laughs> you know some college boy I, so you know I, i'm trying to provide for her
1: i don't know i mean i i again i can see that and i think that the reading of it as him just manipulating her and trying to get into the society any way he can is valid and maybe intentional but for me it was just a personal stumbling block that I couldn't quite get past and maybe it says something about me that I'm more okay with like literal murder than <laughs> kissing someone like three years younger than you but well, you know I just, I, I that was a line for me personally but I still love the well, movie. Well you guys
0: are leaving out one important piece of the equation which is that Min totally called dick. Ibs. Come on. Which I
1: agree as well. Which makes <laughs> men a creep as well. Men is
0: totally a creep. But, um, like, alone, like, on its own making out with a child is weird okay that's already that's already basically crossing the line but adding in crossing the line you said hold on nice nice um but we'll we'll salt in a little bit of like society in there so it'll push it back over the line it's pretty it's reprehensible but it's not over the line yet but that when you add in that he's also totally stealing this girl from his boy min who hooked him up with this opportunity (laughs) i don't know man i can't agree with it it's also my my, like basically, my only con uh, is that yeah. yeah I can't have like they're like she's a sophomore in high school. Next thing, next scene, they're making out. I I, I oh, retch. Like, I audibly retch. It's
1: it's one of those things for me where like it's gross, but maybe if the casting was like the way that um, American high school TV shows are, <laughs> where like Riverdale, all the like juniors are like twenty three and super ripped and look like they're complete adults, maybe that would have made it. Not okay, but it would have been less disconcerting and I could have put it out of my mind more but she she's cast very well she looks like a child. Mm -hmm. And so that was and Kiwoo he doesn't look old but he looks like college age so it definitely I think the good casting was also maybe a con in this sense in that it made me a little too uncomfortable with I that think part. I
2: think the uncomfortable thing that you're feeling is totally intentional yeah. I think it's oh, yeah, exactly yeah. what they're trying to get to and it's all variant yeah it's all of that is intentional to to show you just how far they're willing to go to get this cuz I never I'm never convinced that Kiwoo really cares about her right he's just trying to get a leg up and, um, and I think what you're saying is exactly right, where it, it, it feels weird and it's supposed to feel weird. And I mean, i want to get to this in my cons too. Like, who are we supposed to be rooting for in this movie? Right. I like, I think that's kind of one of its, I think this makes it an interesting to talk thing and talk about is like, who are the good guys, but it also can lead to a disconnect between you and the characters, right? Like Kevin slash Kiwoo is kind of a audience surrogate in a way where you kind of feel you feel it from his perspective you see everything from his perspective um but the rest of the family and the and the things they end up doing and the the actions they end up taking aren't necessarily all good and when you take a kind of objective look at the rich family at the park family are they do they really do anything that does that really warranted their uh you know them being taken advantage of i don't know so it, it, it kind of like I think it's something interesting to talk about but I think it can lead to you feeling disconnected from a from this story when the, the real message of it is that this is something that happens to everyone this is something that everyone can relate to so I feel like that was also something that I felt was weaker
1: i definitely have some takes about who the good guys and bad guys are in this story but i'm gonna hold off on them because i could get really in depth i think that's good to talk about later on when we're discussing the definitely i'm gonna
0: wrap up the cons with just one more i and again it was it was tough to find cons for this but for this film because it's amazing but I really didn't like the stairs of forced clumsiness um, on the way down to the bunker or like underneath the the rich house. When
1: she's first running down? Well, when
0: the family is all, they're all like leaning up against the wall. (laughs) It's like Looney tunes.
1: They're all stacked on each other. And then they all
0: fall and that ends up really screwing them over. And then later on when uh, Kevin is bringing the the scholar's rock down there, once again he's like doops and drops the rock Down the stairs, and I'm just like, uh, unless there's some sort of like metaphor here that it's like as you descend into the like the underground, like th- bad things happen, or you you get on. I don't know. I don't think there's anything there. I just got frustrated. I mean, I think that
1: like- the real the real message there is that the rock is really heavy because earlier when he's going to like bash the drunk guy's head in but then he gives up and just takes water instead if you watch he can like barely hold it above his knees he's like staggering around and like i think both he's really just not athletic and it's just a really heavy rock so I think that one at least that was my no I understand exactly what you mean because I agree that yeah.
2: like because um, later right when they're hiding under the coffee table and they're not caught I was seriously surprised by that but then I realized that that was kind of serving a greater purpose as far as like how the, the movie would end Uh, and I was like, oh, wow. So like he, he, you know, he didn't do any sort of like Looney Tunes type shenanigans where like, oh no, they're running, like they're running and hiding behind plants and like pretending to be something like (laughs) it's easily could be something like that. But then I remembered this scene when they fall down the stairs and I realized that, oh no, actually they,
1: uh, it totally does happen. Now that I'm having a bit of an epiphany right now, actually, um, this is a bit of a hot take, but, um, I think that maybe, possibly again probably reading too much into this but with this movie you never know um maybe them falling like that represents because like the first half of the movie is very much it's like a comedy like dark comedy sort of like oh these crazy scammers what will they get up to next Oh, it keeps getting crazier and crazier how are they going to top this and then that scene like from the moment the doorbell rings to um the moment that the ladies kick down the stairs um like that is sort of the transition between this comedy and this horror and this like tensity so i think having that one last moment of like comedy of like slapstick like oh they're falling down it's goofy it's like maybe maybe this will still have be a little lighthearted and then it's like no no, this is just going to be awful. So I think Hmm. that might be part of it. But again, I'm only thinking of that now. I
2: I like that a lot. (laughs) I really like that. Okay. Well, that
0: is going to wrap up our cons. And now we're going to move on to our overall section. And Joey has some questions for you, B.
1: All right.
2: Yes. All right. To get us jump started here. First of all, why did you pick this movie to talk about? Um, I mean, you could have picked any movie to, but I mean, what is, what's so special about this one?
1: Okay, so my history with Parasite is basically, um, last year I met someone who I'm really good friends with now, shout out to Miles, um, and he's a huge fan of Bong Joon-ho. Um, just absolutely loves his work, was trying to get me and all of my friends to watch Snowpiercers for like months Snowpiercers awesome. <laughs> I don't think, we never actually watched it, I ended up watching it on my own eventually, but um, so I knew that he was super dedicated to this director He's, he's not like a film geek, but he's into film, so I value his opinion. And then I saw, um, I think around maybe September or October, all these articles about people saying like, oh, the New York debut of Bong Joon-ho's new film, Parasite, just came out. It's absolutely insane. You all have to see this, blah, blah, blah. And I was kind of interested, but I don't... The area I live in, there aren't really many big theaters who would be showing a foreign movie, because like it or not, it's not... A very widespread thing to be showing in american culture at the moment maybe this will change it um so i never saw it in theaters then as the oscars are coming along i sort of follow film stuff and so I saw that there was a lot of hype for this foreign movie that was nominated for like best picture and like that's a big deal um so I was kind of interested and then a bunch of people I follow on Twitter where I spent like half my life (laughs) um ended up talking about how (laughs) cool Parasite is and they were all like oh yeah I really hope this wins like it would be great for Bong Joon-ho to get an Oscar I'm like all right I'll root for it and then I remember the night that it won the Oscars I saw it I saw the like announcement that it won best picture and what else was it? It was best foreign film, best original screenplay, um, best picture. And what was the other one? It won a, it won a fourth I have one. no idea. It won a fourth Oscar. Anyway, it like completely swept the Oscars. Everyone was taken aback. And I knew in that moment I need to watch this movie. So I literally the next morning after I finished going about my day school and stuff, I bought it on iTunes. Watched like one trailer for it, sat down, turned the lights off, watched it on my tiny little phone screen, and it was just like a transcendent experience. I was like, I was, I was so gripped by it. I was so tense. It was so engaging. And I was like, well, I I love this movie. This is amazing. I'm so sorry, Miles, for never watching Snowpiercer with you because clearly this guy knows what he's doing. So you, you watch so, it on a
0: phone screen? Please tell me you've seen it on a larger screen than that by now.
1: Yes, I, I have watched it on a TV screen. Now, okay, good. But <laughs> I watched it on a phone screen and my laptop screen and the TV screen. So I've had a bit of a range Ooh. of it. But my first experience... My first experience with it was on a phone screen, and I think it says something that I watched it on a phone screen, and it still gripped me so strongly that I was like breathless during several scenes.
2: But did you watch it on free Wi-Fi?
1: No, I did not. I actually used my uh, 4G data. (laughs) Well,
0: watching it on your phone is definitely a Kim family move as opposed to a Park family move. (laughs) Yes, definitely. You got got both ends of the spectrum uh, on that. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. But so, yeah, then I wanted to talk about it. Well, obviously I watched it and I had a moment. Um, uh, I actually said this to Joey at a point when we saw each other before he spoke on a previous episode about like watching something on YouTube and just needing to step away and like not post about it, not think about anything, just absorb it and like think. And this movie was the first thing in a long time that made me feel like that and so then of course after I was done sort of just staring at the wall like what did I just watch I again went on Twitter and started screaming about it like everyone who follows me go watch this movie I need to talk to someone about it and like a couple of days later no one I really talked to it jumped on it and I was like well I mean, I follow this podcast and I've tweeted at them before. I've made them some dank memes for promotion. Like I might as well see if they're interested. Um, And so then I tweeted and I got a response and I was super happy that you guys were considering it. And then imagine my surprise when I see Joey at dinner at a point, because we, I don't know if I mentioned before, we are cousins. So we see each other pretty often at this point. Um, And I mentioned to him, like, hey, did you see that I wanted... The sh- your um, podcast to do Parasite. I wanted to see an affable chat episode about Parasite. And he was like, yeah, I was thinking you could be on the episode. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <And> the rest
2: <laughs> is history. And here we are. The right rest now. is
1: history. Yeah. <laughs> so.
2: And now we're caught up to pr- current moment.
1: Yes. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. No, I, yeah, I, I kind of had a similar experience with it because I was, I heard about it before it came out and I, 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 I knew of uh, Bong Joon-ho, because of Snowpiercer, and i love Snowpiercer, but i hadn't uh i hadn't seen the movie and i didn't know if i was going to or not then when it when it did really well in the oscars i was like oh wow maybe this actually is like something special so um and then of course when you requested it then it became a a thing to do with a podcast so uh i've already i've watched it twice since then so it's um been yeah that's a uh it's 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 actually great to see like a movie that that's really great like this one get boosted by the Academy Awards yeah, and stuff. I've Which...
1: seen I've seen a lot of people like I don't I like film but I'm not like a film nerd. I'm not like super into following like Oscar predictions and stuff like that. But I know that last year the movie that won Best Picture a lot of people were not thrilled about it. It was Green Book, I believe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And people weren't huge on it. And so I know that there was a huge, like not only a resurgence of like, yes, like this movie is getting what it, the recognition it deserves, but also the Academy are like making sense for once. They like actually chose a best picture that was the best picture. And so like, I can't speak on that too much, but I think that that's noteworthy that like, it's getting,
2: honestly, that's that's exactly how I feel like. I feel like the Oscars have not, is not something that I follow because I disagree with basically everything that they the, the entire method of it but it's um it's nice to see something good come out of that you know I have always said it doesn't matter if you haven't win a, won an Oscar but it's great if you have basically Yeah I
0: like that yeah. take because I I feel like it, they're trying to make uh, you know, movies into a competition. You're not... It's the, It's not a good way to m- judge the merit on a movie if it just wins the one award amongst a bunch of movies. What if they're all good? What if that movie had been made a year earlier? Would it have won the award then against a weaker class of movies? So I try not to put too much stake in it, but I do, I do appreciate when it gets a nice boost from uh, the mean, notoriety of winning. And this feels like a movie that w- deserved that kind of boost.
1: There's that whole, like phrase or like term of oscar bait right like people yes, will make movies yes. just to get an oscar they'll just like pull on just the right heartstring and have just the right cast and have just the right message at the end to try and manipulate the academy into thinking that this is the best this was not oscar bait this was just cinema this was a good movie yeah that got the credit that it deserved.
0: Well, um, I do. Uh, I want to talk about (laughs) my encounter with this movie because Joey got to share his, and then I think we should move (laughs) on to the next question. But, um, I also heard a bunch of good things about this movie after the Oscars. And, uh, and obviously when we got the uh, recommendation from B, we were definitely going to see it. But when I saw one tweet in particular, I knew that I had to see this movie and it's this tweet from at Wahoo, uh, which I don't know who this account, but I saw it retweeted and he says, Dudes will swear these bitches parasites, but still haven't hit a bong with a hoe since last June.
1: <laughs> amazing! I was like, okay, oh, man, I, I gotta find out what this movie's about. Like that, that was an
0: amazing tweet.
1: <laughs> and that's and that's like the perfect tweet to get you into it because it's. It like it grips nothing. your attention. It tells you nothing about the movie. You do not know what's going on. Exactly. Like, I mean, the first the first time I watched a trailer, which I don't think the trailers for the for this movie spoil too much. I watched a trailer and really going into it, I was wondering, like, the title Parasite, is this gonna be like a zombie movie? Is there gonna be like some sort of infection? Is this about like science fiction or fantasy or something and it was none of that it was so much more realistic and more gripping as a result yeah i
0: will admit that going into it i was low-key scared because it was rated r and the trailer or not the trailer but the the Artwork that they had on YouTube for the the movie was a little bit haunting. The poster, yeah, yeah, the movie poster is a little bit haunting.
1: Oh yeah, with the with the black bars yes. across the eyes. Eye. So- I actually I actually have a bit of a cultural information there. Oh, hit me. You. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'm not I'm not a hundred percent on this, but I believe that in Korean culture, a lot of times, you know how like in American TV, and I'm sure other um, media people if someone wants to stay anonymous they'll like have their face blurred Mm -hmm. out or something i'm pretty sure that that is sort of the korean equivalent of that a lot of times if there's Uh. someone who is suspected of a crime or wants to be anonymous somehow instead of blurring the whole face they'll have a black bar across the eyes and so i think that that was part of the reason for the um artistic direction on the poster and a lot of the other promotional stuff was having those black bars To sort of keep anonymity and also imply some sort of criminal tension there.
2: Makes sense. All right, here's my next question, B. Where do you feel like you fit in this world, the world of Parasite? Do you identify more with the rich family or the poor family?
1: This one's tough. I mean... I don't know. I'd say that my my family that I'm in is comfortably middle class, if not upper middle class, like we, we've never struggled much like financially. Um, so I'd say probably more with the rich family, but I like to think that I'm a little more, for lack of a better term, woke than the rich family is in this movie, like I would think that i wouldn't be talking about how poor people have like a gross smell or like forcing them to dress up in culturally appropriative costumes or like calling them out at 6am to throw a party out of nowhere like i i like to think that i'm a little more culturally aware than the rich family but i think like my social standing i i can't say that i'm connecting with the kims um, as much I, I connect with them on a narrative level and like understanding what they're doing. But I think just, I come from a privileged perspective. So I, I wouldn't feel right saying like, Oh yeah, I'm with the cams. I'm clawing my way up from the bottom. Cause I've never had to do that. And I'm sure that my reading of the movie is very different or at least very differently toned than someone who has been exactly where they are.
2: I think that's, no, I, I, I appreciate your honesty there. And I think that's true for both of us too. And It's interesting, I think, we were just talking about the Oscars and how this movie did so well. Uh, The people that choose that kind of stuff also probably never were able to identify with the Kims in this movie, right? And I think it speaks to um, Bong Joon-ho's... Bong Bong Joon-ho?
1: I can't even say it. (laughs) Bong
2: Bong Joon-ho. It's not even that hard. It's just words I know. Bong Joon-ho's ability to tell a story to get you invested in these characters who a lot of us you know uh, aren't able to identify with in our in our day-to-day so I, I don't know it's a uh it's a powerful piece of messaging and a powerful piece of cinema uh, for that reason well i think it's interesting that we really
0: only get to see these two like sides of it the extremes the extreme poor and the extreme rich because i, I mean you guys are saying you're comfortably middle class but you, I don't think either of you have a chauffeur, you know? I don't think either no, of you I mean, have like, a live-in maid um, or such a ridiculously nice house. I mean...
1: I don't have a house constructed by a famous architect that has a secret dungeon I, in
0: it. <laughs> right? That, it's like, your house is so expansive, you didn't even know you had a secret dungeon. Exactly. Like, come on. Like, oh, I yeah. never wanted to, like, just sit and watch the rain as much as when I saw them sitting in the living room and, like, it was just oh, coming Oh, that down.
1: beautiful full wall window. Oh, like,
0: man. <sighs> yeah. I mean, that's just, that's luxury right there. I mean, it's just, so it's different. I think that that's a, it's a tough question to answer because yeah, I guess it's harder to see yourself as if you've never experienced like that kind of poverty, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like financially you might be like no, like all of us might be closer to the Kims than the parks, you know oh um, yeah,
1: I, I agree definitely from a
0: like you're you're much closer to being dead broke than you are being like f- outrageously rich. Um, and I think that there's yeah like
1: a billionaire or something. right
0: exactly. So I don't know I, I I find myself somewhere in the middle, I guess.
1: yeah, I, I think I would be in the middle too, but if I had to pick one or the other who's like, I guess life experiences connected with me more, um, it would definitely be the parks. But I also do want to say that I don't think, and again, this is something we'll get into later. I don't think that that means that the parks are the good mm-hmm. people and the and the um, Kims are the bad people or even vice versa. I think it's more nuanced than that, which the movie does a great um, job of showing because I don't think that the parks necessarily are bad people they're not like walking out into the streets and being like ha look at that hobo what a loser like they're they're hiring people and they're trying to be cordial and they're they like don't flex their wealth extravagantly but also just by nature of having a privileged life they don't realize all the I, it's kind of a played out term but the, all the microaggressions that they're creating towards people who are less fortunate like they don't realize that plugging your nose because something smells bad could be seen as an insult because they've never been on the receiving end of that insult.
2: Exactly. I think that's what, I think that's really the powerful thing about this is that the parks act like normal people or, or norm, what they think normal people act like at least. And it's, and it's so abrasive to this other family um, and, and for good reason too. They have every reason to, to distrust and to try to take advantage of them in a way. Okay, my last question, and then we'll get more into the specifics. Do you think this movie is inventing or capturing a cultural moment? You, do you understand what I'm talking about there? Is it? Is it? Is this something that's really happening, or is this something that it's exaggerating for the purpose of this movie?
1: Oh, 100%, I think this is something that's happening. I don't know if, like... Literally, there are families of quote unquote con artists who are all working together to get into a house and like scam this rich family so they can make way more money. But I think that definitely people who are lower on the social and economic ladder have to bend the rules sometimes because this like (laughs) are not to go joker on you, but the society that we live in (laughs) isn't built to accommodate them. It's like not built to allow upward momentum it's built to keep people who are at the top comfortably at the top so i think that yes there are plenty of people who uh, as it said in the movie like rich people they can afford to play by the rules and be polite and throw parties and make cake and just be kind to everyone but when you're poor even if you are a good person at heart you have to you have to do what you have to do to survive because like this This family, the Kims, they're folding pizza boxes and barely making enough to have dinner every night. So I don't blame them at all for trying to jump on a more well-paying job that appreciates them more, at least on the surface. Um, And I think that that's something that is legitimately happening. There are people who take service jobs that they would rather not be working because they have to get a paycheck to be able to afford food on the table every night.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's that's super important. Like, it's super important to point that out. That being in that situation financially f- almost forces your hand into malice. You, you like stealing Wi-Fi, right? Which is pretty mon- like uh, benign. That
1: was that was insane to me. That scene, yeah. like even even as someone who like has never had to worry about having Wi-Fi or anything, the idea that that would be called stealing Wi-Fi was just right? like. That was, that was bonkers to me. Like, why would you?
2: Yeah.
0: Right. Know. And it's, <laughs> but it, it, it was important because without Wi Fi they couldn't access WhatsApp and without WhatsApp, they couldn't get that job opportunity. Right. So they're trying their oh. best. They're doing everything they can. Um, but to be able to do that, they have to do things that are morally questionable. And I, I think that, you know that's an important piece of the puzzle because it's easy to just identify or root for um, the Kim family because they're poor. You know they're disadvantaged. You want to see them succeed. You, you don't want to see them suffer. But at the same time, uh, they sprinkle in all these terrible things they have to do, and it's like, whoa! Do I still want to root for them? And that's what makes it compelling.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, um, oh, go ahead. No,
2: go that. No, go ahead. Finish okay. what you're going to
1: say. Um cuz i think that one thing that's in the movie that is sort of brushed over like obviously there's the escalation of like what they do to get the job right like um at first kiwoo kevin he just sort of fibs and says that he's in a college when he really isn't he just hasn't passed the exam yet but like he says he's planning to go there so it doesn't it's not I that just big of a deal. It out early. Yeah exactly i love that line and then um jung or jessica um she's talented with art but they sort of lie and say that she's from america and that she has this art degree and that she's a certified therapist and stuff and so like that's a more extreme sort of thing um and then obviously the climax of it is when they literally incite an allergic reaction in like a if not elderly then middle-aged woman who clearly doesn't have the um like resources to be able to get um attention for it if she really needs it they basically almost they they don't almost kill her she doesn't like have like a full asthma attack she can still walk around but it's still dangerous but the thing that seemed out of place for me in the escalation was um what they do to get the father key tech his job as a chauffeur or chauffeur sorry because like yeah they sort of play it off as like oh it's just the next step and like oh they're planting evidence but i guess i'm not a hundred percent sure on everything about korean culture i would imagine that i guess they don't They don't say that this is why they fired him but if he if it came out that he was fired because they think he sexually assaulted someone who was on drugs or that he was dealing drugs and also having sex in his boss's car i feel like on a certain level that's it's not worse than causing this woman a literal health like allergy reaction Mm -hmm. but it could potentially keep this guy from ever getting a job again and they even mentioned that in the movie, they're like, he, he, he'll he probably get a job, right? And they're like, I don't know. And then Jessica just chimes in like, worry about us. Don't worry about that guy. But I think that that's also something very important to note that even though it's brushed over, that could seriously be a huge hurdle for this guy. And he could end up exactly where they were entirely because they made up this lie about something extremely serious. Yeah, I
0: mean, the whole time they're like kind of ripping off the Park family, um, not really, because they're actually get, doing their job well. But there's almost yeah, I mean, there's they're... no class solidarity. They are looking out for their family only because anybody else that they try to take on, anybody else that they try to care for, is just one more mouth to feed, one more person who's going to make it harder for them to get by. And they they mention at times that they you know they even bring up that chauffeur again. They're like, surely he got another job, right? Like he was handsome, muscular. He'll be fine. You know, trying to make themselves maybe feel better about it and when they return to the house they're like let's go down there and talk to them you know we got too excited last time Uh, they're not able to do that but they there's this idea of potential class solidarity but through their actions they're basically on their own even against other people in their same situation
1: yeah, like in theory, they recognize class solidarity, and they know that like the working class has to stick together. It's us versus them, whatever. But when it's in the moment, when it comes down to it, when it's fight or flight, life or death, their instinct is to just take what they need and not worry about others, which I don't fault them for because that's a human instinct is an animalistic instinct. Like, At your very core, we all like to think that if we saw like a burning building and we ran out of it and there was someone left behind, we want to think that we would be the hero to run back in and pull them out. In reality, we might not be able to. We might just be focused on staying alive and that doesn't make us a bad person.
2: That's a good analogy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, it's tough to it's it just i think this movie's full of things that make you uncomfortable that's just one more thing again you'd love to be just like yeah poor versus rich good versus evil but it's not that simple
1: yeah and i mean again the evil or not evil the rich characters it would have been so easy to make them like evil caricatures of them like wiping their tears with money and like sprinkling gold on their food and stuff like that and they deliberately didn't the closest they come to that is when they put expensive sirloin in some like instant noodles (laughs) but even that isn't like even that isn't like flexing their wealth it's just they have the ability to add an extra part to their food so they do and so i think that really keeping them human is what makes it so compelling because you can't just look at it and say like oh um, they're the bad guys and we're rooting for the poor family or the poor family are awful. And the rich family did nothing wrong. Like it's more, like I've said, it's more nuanced than that.
2: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: All right. So is that um, all your
2: questions, Joey? That's all my questions. All right. All right. <laughs> Excuse me. Let's Excuse move me. Move on to some other things. <laughs> um, yes. I have a, you lot have a of whole things. list of things here, B. So hit us with some that you that we haven't hit already.
1: Okay. Um, so I think one thing to mention is that even when you're mildly spoiled on the plot, I think that the film is just really enjoyable. Um I guess the one the one spoiler I had before the movie was I saw cuz of course it had obviously gotten really big before I saw it and I'd seen fan art for it and stuff and there was one piece of fan art it was like um a like a mock-up movie poster and it was like a cross section of the house, right? And there is, like, really small at the bottom, like a little portion of, like, an underground bunker. And so, like, I saw that in the fan art, and I didn't connect what it was, really. I just thought, like, oh, this family, like, this house has, like, a little underground part. So that reveal wasn't, like, as out of nowhere for me, but it's still, I didn't know what the significance of it was. And I think even if I knew what the significance of it was, it still would have been such, it's just shot so tensely and there's so much buildup from the second that doorbell rings. It's just, you don't know what's going to happen. So I think that even when you sort of know what's coming, it's still, there's still so many twists and different ways that it's presented that it's not, it didn't feel like the movie was spoiled.
2: I, um, yeah, I think, I think there's certain elements of it that are i think you're exactly right like the, the the tension everything is built not just on the surprise but on the the strength of the the storytelling but i think the the, the twists and you not knowing what ha- is going to happen is definitely something that grips you as you're watching it because the second time i watched it i definitely was a little bit more calm like my heart was not racing yeah, as yeah. much when uh when uh, uh what's his name kevin uh grabs uh dae hong's or what's her name gosh Dae hey
1: Grabs her sorry. wrist to feel her, <laughs> her pulse. Wrist. Yeah.
2: I was grabbing my wrist, too, to see what my wrist <laughs> was. It wasn't, it wasn't spiking at that moment like it was uh, the, the first time I watched it. So um, I don't know. I, I think there is certain a certain amount that could be spoiled for sure. But it's it's you're exactly right that there is a lot of – it's really, really well done tension, really, really well done sequencing and editing that makes the movie um, tense no matter how many times you've seen it what else you
1: got? Um, so this one is a theory or like reading of sort of the climactic scene, the party scene, which I guess on the off chance that someone has made it this far through oblique spoilers and has Don't not seen the Don't worry about movie,
0: spoilers, B, it's all yeah, good. <laughs>
1: <just> <laughs> please see this movie, I'm begging you. But anyway, um, I feel awful because I, after I watched the movie, I went through like a, Sort of haze of just watching hours of video essays, and like I have so many in my history, I couldn't pinpoint which comment section this was from. So I deeply <laughs> apologize to whatever genius came up with this because it's it's just completely <laughs> whatever changed whatever YouTube the... <laughs> genius
2: <laughs> you wrote in the comments.
1: Whatever person came up with this because it's just completely recontextualized this scene for me. So. Obviously at the party scene with the trauma recovery cake and everything, Kijung, Jessica, is stabbed. And there's- you can argue, like, why she was the one in the plot to be killed off when the others survive, although they're not really in great condition. Um, but the reasoning that I saw in this comment was that, one, It's mentioned a lot throughout the movie that she is the best at fitting in with the upper class like there's that scene where she's in the bathtub and like watching tv or whatever and then later um kiwu says to the family she just feels like she was meant to be here and he later speaks to dahe and is like do you think i fit in here and she says he does but he doesn't really feel like like ki jung just has this aura that she fits in better and she's so cunning she has such such talent with photoshop and acting that she could she's basically if all of this fell through but they somehow weren't in jail she would be <laughs> the cornerstone of their next plan they would rely on her to get them where they need to go
2: oh yeah well oh, they say she could be a con artist right I mean, yeah she had like can you get into o- oxford for a uh, document for yeah she would be
1: top of her class yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. um and and yeah, she seems to be the best, like the most talented of them. It's the way she disappears into her role as art teacher. and She's like very eccentric. Yeah, like, Nobody can be in here while I'm with them. You know, nobody can be in here.
1: Yeah. Um. But so that's the first like sort of, it's not like the basic plot ex- explanation for why she had to be the one to die, but it's sort of, that's like the base level analysis of it. But the thing that I really liked was that this comment went deeper by saying that when you think about it, so the whole thing was that it's a, the party not only is it for dasong's birthday it's for like trauma recovery right it's supposed to make his birthday positive associations after the stuff that happened with the quote-unquote ghost which by the way most chilling shot oh, in a film i've seen oh my in god I saw that like that. <laughs> god that was just i i know i kept like seeing it i went down to the basement later that night to grab like some paper towels and i opened our utility closet and i felt like chills go down my spine even though i've been in there so many times because i was like <laughs> it just it just feels wrong but anyway um so obviously this party the whole symbolism of it both in the movie and literally for the family is to recover from his trauma to help him move forward kijong jessica's entire point in the family as well is to help him process his trauma and move forward so with this party happening effectively that's like the closure of that arc right like she started out as his teacher or therapist. They've gone together. They've grown together. It's all happy. Now it's concluded. And like in a, in another movie that might be like the triumphant scene at the end where it's like, I don't know, like, um, like the teacher is like, Oh, you've finally recovered. Right. He, and, he
2: confronts that same fear again. Yeah. He, he, he reacts differently. Right.
1: Yeah. And that's like cheering and stuff. And so the whole idea of the trauma recovery cake, which I love that they refer to it explicitly as that. That was like one of my favorite lines was trauma recovery cake um, because just like, oh, my God. But um, so but with the presentation of that cake and with that party, Kijong, her job is done. And so you can almost see her death as a commentary on the fact that in capitalism, in a capitalistic society, once you've served your purpose, once you've completed your job, once you've done whatever the employer needs, you're as good as dead. You don't need to be there anymore. Um, And so as soon as I read this, I like it was another moment where I had to sort of step back and look at the wall and be like, oh, my God, first of all, I wish I had thought of this so I could take credit (laughs) for it because it's just amazing. (laughs) But like also it just adds so much to that because I I read it after my first watch and I, I did two rewatches for the podcast and in both of those rewatches, the scene, the first time I watched it, it was just so tense and it was the most like intense scene. This time, not only was it intense, there was so much extra symbolism in the fact that like she's, she's done her job. So she's gone.
0: Right. Yeah. Which is frustrating uh, because yeah. yeah, she's also just so good at her job too, you know, like it's yeah. it's almost like um, I don't know because I, I feel like, like like you said before she could definitely be the cornerstone of their next scheme, you know. But it, it makes it that much more cutting that it's like no, this particular job was it. This once you're done with this, nice. that's all we needed you for, and you, you can go back to being w- under the under the house under in the basement again. Right.
1: Literally
2: Very, under yeah. the ground. Literally cutting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, and this kind of adds again to what we were saying, where the consequences between for the, the rich family is different than the consequences for the poor family, right? So, uh, in this scene, that they they're devastated, you know, and having one of their core members, when the daughter, actually be killed, um, and then not survive, uh, obviously, uh, that's what killed me. <laughs> be means. killed and survive. Killed, to, answer, death. <laughs> <laughs> killed people, to death. People die it when they are killed. killed to death. Um, uh, like that's it's just a a reinforcement that the consequences are worse uh when you don't you're not as well off
1: yeah if you mess up and you don't have that safety net of wealth there's no recovery and in this case it's literal like she served her purpose she isn't employed there anymore so she's back to lower class and in effect to the rich people not existing just being gone
2: like that take a lap b
1: Yeah. Well again I can't quite take credit for it, but I definitely I wanted to bring it up. I'm actually just realizing
0: this now, B, after we finished to all that in that was actually my comment.
1: (laughs) I'm pretty I'm like ninety (laughs) nine percent sure. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's an honor. Oh man. All right. Um So then another thing that I wanted to bring up definitely um, was I sort of hinted at it earlier when he used the phrase just in passing, but crossing the line, and not only obviously the narrative significance of that, like crossing the line of professionalism or between classes, but in cinematography, there are so many shots, especially when um Ki-woo first goes to the parks house and he's first meeting the family where there are literal lines separating the characters. The most striking one, the one that um, I noticed on my first watch. And again, I watched a video essay and I'll have to see if I can figure out which one it was because I've seen like three, three of them on this exact subject. <laughs> um, but there's a shot where, and it's also one of the most sort of unsettling and sort of just like weird shots especially when you don't know what to expect from the movie where kiwu is inside and he's looking through this window and it's a window that converges on a corner and the the two panes there's like the connection where they meet at the corner so there's a clear line and then on one side of the line on the right is this table where the the madame the mom or the rich mom is laying there and she looks like passed out and she's like on this chair by this table she's napping or whatever it's kind of freaky um and then the the maid, the the live-in maid, she's standing there on the left and there's this line separating them. And then there's that sort of unsettling moment where um, the housekeeper, she's like saying the lady's name and she's not waking up and then she leans across and she claps really loudly and it wakes her up. When she leans across and claps like that, she crosses that Uh, line. I see. She literally crosses that line. And so it shows that like even... Even though they said later on, the rich father, Mister Park, says like, "Oh, that housekeeper, she never crossed the line. She was always, um, again another wonderful um little tidbit is that she always ate enough for two, but she never crossed the line." Yes, um, <laughs> which absolutely <laughs> lost my mind at that one. Um, but um, like, even like when people aren't looking, she still crosses the line because she has to to get her job done um and that's, there yeah,
2: are... that's that's subtle but no it's cool i like the way that that's i didn't think about that but yeah it's totally framed that way another one i don't know if this is uh as perfect example but when kevin first is is doing that his first lesson uh with the daughter right he he, he reaches out and, and grabs her hand um and her hand is on that on that page right yeah so he's like literally crossing that he's crossing
1: like the the edge of the table in the book to grab her hand right which is not exactly
2: the same thing but it's still yeah it's still him crossing a line in a way
1: yeah and there there are other shots as well that were mentioned in this um video essay that were a lot less striking to me but like when he's first walking down the hallway on the upper floor um next to the rich mother Mm -hmm. there's a light on the ceiling and he's standing slightly to the left under it, and she's standing slightly to the right under it as they walk along so there's a slight divider there and so just like the entire architecture of the house is very angular because uh, i mean obviously it's a house so there are going to be corners but the way it's constructed <laughs> the way it's constructed there are so many shots where there are lines like separating things and there are a lot of shots where people are intentionally staged, they're intentionally blocked to be on opposite sides of those lines, whether it's a doorway or a stairwell or a support beam for the house or a window pane. There's it's a lot more prevalent I noticed during the first half of the movie, especially the introduction of Kiwu to the house. But it's pretty persistently there. So I thought that was really interesting. I like that a lot. Anything else? Um so I kind of had something I wanted your takes on. Um, so there's the scene where obviously um, Jessica Kijong is going to bring the food down to the family during the party. And then she gets sort of turned around and taken away. And so obviously she was bringing that food down as a peace treaty. And then it shows um, Kiwu and he's talking to Dahe and they're having an uncomfortable makeout session. And then they talk about whether he belongs in their society or not. And then he in front of her, like picks up the rock, which he just had in his bag, which I found kind of funny that he just had it with him, but whatever, (laughs) Um, (laughs) I guess actually, no, it makes sense because they were displaced from their house. So he had it with him but anyway, he takes out the rock and he says, he's going to go down to confront people. And she says, oh, you mean like at the party? And he says, no lower. So it's framed in a way that it seems like he's definitely going down there again, relating back to the scene where he was going to go get the drunk guy to leave it seems like he's gonna bring it down there and like start a fight or like get them to back off or whatever. But there's an interview, You um, scroll down. Um, there's an interview um, that um, the actor for Kiwu, Choi Woo-shik did with Vulture. And um, he actually says that when he was discussing the scene with Bong to sort of get the feel for the character's intent, um, Bong said, no, maybe it was a gift. Maybe he wanted to say sorry, because ki saw that stone, even though it's been said blatantly, it's literally just a rock. There's nothing supernatural about it. It is just a rock. But ki sees it as this symbol of wealth and fortune and hopefulness. And so while he could be taking it down to bash the guy's head in, he could also be taking it down as a sort of misguided peace offering of, I was given this rock by my friend and it represents wealth and upward mobility. And it's helped me get where I am. And I want to give it to you guys to sort of symbolically, because Kiwu was constantly saying, this is so metaphorical. This is all this like- is so <laughs> This is so metaphorical. This is so metaphorical. This is a great catchphrase. I love it. He only says it like three times, but it feels like he says it so much more. It's amazing. Right, three times is a but, lot
2: to say this is so metaphorical. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah in two hours. <laughs> it's true. It's yeah, all no, like the first half of the movie. Too. I like
2: that. I like that take, too, because it, if it is a peace offering, then when it's a it's an even bigger rejection when, uh well, I don't know what the husband Gunse? is. Yeah, is, Yeah. It well, smashes his head with it. Exactly. Right? It's, it's like I'm... I'm taking the thing you offered me and using it to try to kill you.
1: And it's another sort of show of class solidarity, just evaporating when exactly. there's a perceived threat. So no, that's really cool. Yeah. So I was wondering, um, what do you guys think? Because, um, well, obviously- I have a bigger
2: question here. I mean, okay. I have a quote for you. Yeah. Um, then when they're in the, uh, in the gymnasium, right. With the rest of the the families after their house gets flooded, um, the ki and his father are having a conversation, and his father says, why are you hugging that rock? And ki says, this? It keeps clinging to me. You need to sleep. I'm serious. It keeps following me. So my question is, what is, what is this rock? Why, why is it clinging to him in this moment? If what you're saying it's it's a symbol of wealth, right? When uh, Min gives it to them, he says like this is supposed to bring like fortune to your family. Um, but he he, he keeps bringing it around with them, right? You see in in this moment too, it's almost as if he can't get rid of it.
1: Um, I think personally, and again, I think there's definitely obviously room for interpretation. I think that for me, it definitely seems like Kiwu isn't unintelligent, but he's very childish and superstitious, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, Like, because when Min gives the rock to the family, there's an amazing shot where it shows the rock in the box and then it cuts like reverse cuts to kiwu's face and he's sort of entranced by it and then it cuts to like a few seconds later and you get this sense of like being jolted out like you've been lost in thought looking at it and then you're back to reality so from the moment it shows up he's so into it and he even says that's the first time the line comes up this is so metaphorical so i think that he just he has sort of like a childlike wonder about him that he wants to believe that there's possibility to get out of the rut that they're in, the family. And he sees this, I think, the coincidence of the fact that he gets this rock and then almost instantly his friend who gave him the rock offers him a well-paying job. Hmm. It might connect in his head as a sort of symbolic like Like if someone has like a lucky sock or something, like they wore a pair of socks and they took a test that they didn't study for and then they ace it and they're like, these are my lucky socks. I've never taken these off. This is like, I have to have these or I won't succeed. Lucky socks,
2: lucky rock. Perfect. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) So, um, but yeah, so I think that more than anything, it's just that, that he's saying that it clings to him because he's clinging to it as like a safety blanket almost Mm. of like, if I have this thing with me, everything's going to turn out okay.
2: It's it's his desperate clinging to the idea that he can move up.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, in that same vulture article that I quoted earlier about whether um he was really intending to kill them or if he was going to offer it as a peace offering, um, the actor Choi Woo also says that one of his co-stars, I believe, um, it was the woman who plays the rich mother if I'm recalling correctly. Um, Anyway, one of them said something along the lines of, to them, the rock represented shortcuts. Like the rock, in a way, it's like if he's clinging to this rock because he thinks that it's giving him wealth, that's him looking for an easy way out of like poverty. Because if he thinks that this rock is just magic and it's going to get him out of there, then he's sort of childishly clinging to the idea that Oh, it's possible to get out of here without trying too hard.
2: I was kind of thinking of it as a tool for getting what you want. In yeah. A way, right. Yeah. And what you're saying makes sense to that, too. Yeah.
1: Because then at the end, the very end of the film, when he's sort of writing the letter to his father, there's a shot where he puts the rock back into the river and like looking at it from like a literal perspective, it's like that doesn't really make that much sense. I guess he's kind of moved on. He's like, I want to put this the in the The rock needs to be washed that's true it did need to be washed most likely (laughs) probably smelled a little funky but um but yeah so if he's putting that rock in that river and then you take it with the lens of that rock represents taking shortcuts and sort of ask not asking for handouts but like Hoping that something else is going to you, get you something where you need to go. Something external
2: will be giving it to you.
1: Yeah, and so then he puts that rock down and he walks away. He's rejecting that and saying, "I'm going to be. I'm going to make my own path." And then it's debatable whether that works out or not. But... Right.
2: Which is what his intention is when he writes that letter.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think that I think that there's nothing literally supernatural about the rock. I think it literally is just a keepsake memorabilia thing that he gets overly attached to because it comes into his life at a very pivotal point but i think also like within the text of the film it might be sort of symbolic in regards to um yeah what i said like sort of whether it brings wealth or he thinks that it'll bring wealth. Well, it's
0: interesting how some of his, like the older people who have been in this system for longer kind of reject that notion. I mean, immediately when Min originally brings this rock, uh, the the, uh, Kim mother the um the mom of the poor family she's like food would have been better <laughs> she would, yeah. and then, uh later on when like you were talking about where he's like why are you holding that rock like it's clinging to me it's like you need some sleep that's silly to like cling to ideas yeah. like that and even our man who lives in the basement he really rejects the rock by heaving it back in the direction of uh of kevin yeah. for right in his can. head so I yeah. I, um, I think that's interesting as well. Kind of like there's almost, he has some sort of like n- naivety to think that he yeah, can survive and
1: succeed
2: in this system. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Want to talk about Native American imagery?
1: Oh, yes. I would love to talk about Native American imagery and sort of the way that this film, because again, first watching the film, That was another element that was almost a con for me, like just from a very surface level, because just, again, trying to be socially conscious. If I see someone wearing like a Native American headdress or something, that's sort of, in the back of my mind, I'm like, that's not really, it's not a costume. It's not something you should be treating so trivially, right? But for me, um, I mean, I felt...
0: I, like I get that perspective, but I also was like, these people are in Korea. They probably don't really understand the history behind these things, and also these are rich Koreans, so they're likely even more out of touch. Which obviously doesn't make it right well, or anything, but it's like they really don't know what they're doing. You know, for them, I think that's exactly the point. Though, yeah, that's right?
1: that's exactly what I was going to bring up. So at first when I saw it and my first view, maybe like halfway through my first view, like the first few times I saw it, like when um, song is introduced by shooting the Indian arrows, quote unquote. Yes. And when he's like sort of staring out the window wistfully, wearing the little like paper headdress that he made while the um, housemaid is fired. Um, it sort of struck me as odd, but the further I went along, I realized it really is just sort of the, fetishization of not only native american culture but just american and the english language in general Um, so something that i i don't want to sound too certain on this because it's i'm sure it's not universal and it's just something that i've experienced but when i was in german class in high school we learned that a lot of times um in germany at least and again this is just based on my experience um using English rather than German is seen as, like, sort of cool and chic. Like, English is, like, the cool language. If you're, like, hip and with it, then you'll use English slang instead of German slang, Oh, I'm right? with it. Yeah, we're all oh, with yeah. it. We're speaking English I was right actually now. a huge like, fan of
0: how much they liked the United States because it was one of my, like... Like I said, I mean, the subtitles are one thing, but having a movie that totally takes place in Korea with only Koreans and no Americans at all, that is tough for me as an American to sit down and watch, but I was glad that they <laughs> at <laughs> least were saying, like, America is fantastic.
2: America got represented. It wasn't yes. it wasn't as much as an American, but it had... It I had thought this movie
0: could have it. benefited, yeah, sure. like, maybe if we had switched out one of the actors, perhaps put Kevin, replace him with, like...
1: With Scarlett Johansson? Yeah. Oh, oh man.
0: <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? That could, have, that could have been fantastic. But um, because of how much they loved the U.S. in this movie, I was like, you know what? I think it's great. I think they did enough. Yeah. You let it slide this time? For, yeah, yeah, this this one time it because it's it. such a good movie.
1: It deserves an Oscar just for mentioning America. Right, sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. But, but anyway, my point is that um, So if we take that assumption from like four years ago when I was in like German three and assume just for a minute that it is sort of globally a thing that in cultures that have different languages using English is seen as sort of like slang or like, it, cause like so much media is in, in English, right? It, like you have to listen to music in English. A lot of the times films are in English. So I think that naturally a lot of countries like English is sort of seen as this, Element of media and this element of culture and so using English slang is common and there are a lot of words that are borrowed from English and other languages and vice versa, but um, So the fact that the Park family, especially the mother who again her her actress was incredible. She was a real standout for me Um, She's constantly throwing English around into her sentences like when she first meets um, Kiwoo she's asking about coming up then she says is it okay with you and then like later when um, Ki-jung asks her if she's serious about, um, I forget what it was, but it was something about, are you serious about wanting to meet Mr. Kim to be your new driver? And she says, I'm deadly serious and stuff. And so she, she throws that around a lot. And I think that that, as well as the Native American imagery without the concern for learning the actual Native American culture and the history behind it just sort of shows Um, like when you're in this privileged position, you don't have to worry about like any baggage attached to things. You just, you see America and you're like, Oh, America's cool. So I'm going to speak English even when it doesn't make sense contextually. And I'm going to, um, just like decorate my house with like native American racial stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
2: no one who like that, who dresses in a native American headdress is doing it because they want to be offensive. I'm sure.
1: I'm sure there are some people, but the The, large majority, the,
2: the, the. the problem with cultural appropriation or the reason why it's a controversial subject is because people that do it don't realize they're doing anything wrong. And the same is true here. I mean, they call themselves, I mean, they're, they're called the parks, right? Which is yeah. almost like a, it's an English word, right? Um, so it's, it. Uh, I think you're exactly right. There's a whole fetishization of not just America, but of like rich white American. And the, they kind of act a lot like a traditionally rich white American family there's a lot of things in there that we can we can kind of identify with um and I think that's supposed to be supposed to tie it in even more closely to us you know maybe that is culturally accurate but I think it's supposed to hammer it home that like no this applies to you too Americans watching this this isn't something that just happens in Korea you know this is this these people really are you um and I think that's a way more powerful message um, and, it's, and it's tied into that same thing where um, people in Korea perhaps will, will get the sense that, oh, like they're acting a certain way or, or not in touch with their roots or their own culture because they're trying to run away to a, a, uh, the American ideal, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Um, and then there's one more element about the use of Native American symbolism that I found really interesting. And again, um, this was um, from, an interv- from an interview given to From the Intercom with Bong Joon-ho um, and he says that in regards to Native American culture in the movie, um, quote, and this is a spoiler, but a really important element of the film is the man who is living in the secret basement. In the story, it's like the protagonist infiltrates the rich family's house only to discover that there was someone already living there. And I think that that's kind of related to the history of Native Americans as well." (laughs) And So really, when you think about it, the story of the Kims and even of the Parks is a story of colonialism, of moving into somewhere where someone is already living and saying, no, this is mine now. I make the rules, you do what I say, and literally pushing them into the background acting like they don't exist. So I thought that was really That's pretty interesting. Good.
0: This movie <laughs> is even woker than I thought. <laughs> I know, it just,
1: there's so many layers to it. Like every, almost every day since I've watched it, I'll wake up and I'll think of something. And I'm like, why did I not see that before? That's like there's so many that. layers. Like even researching for this, I found some stuff that I decided to cut because I think it probably was just a reach, but, <laughs> but like there's just so many <laughs> things that you can find.
2: Oh, uh, that's really cool. No, definitely. Alright, I think it's time to move on to our cool Easter eggs. Unless you uh, have anything else you want to add?
0: Ah uh, man, uh you know, what? no, it's fine. I know we've got a lot of quotes as well, and I'm and I know that we'll talk about some of the other topics. <laughs> we'll tie it in. Don't worry in there. Um but yeah, so I had a question that I hope you guys can help me with because this is like a pseudo Easter egg, but when Kevin is first getting paid after he proves that he's a good enough tutor to be there, what was it like three times a week for two hours um, yeah you like see that. the Madame put it like she counts out a bunch of money puts it into the envelope and then like kind of hesitates and then takes some of it out and then you see her handing the envelope to Kevin uh, and this is while she was talking about like paying him as much as she paid min and then a little bit more for inflation was she shorting him was she actually lying and saying like we're paying you more than min but actually shorting him?
1: I think 100% she definitely was. I think that definitely what the original amount she put in was Min's exact rate not even counting for inflation and then she probably just thought better of it and thought you know I don't know this kid he won't know any better. I'll just take a little out and it's just sort of showing the not necessarily selfishness but the lack of regard. Because I'm sure that I'm not I'm not very familiar with Korean won with the exact denominations. I couldn't look at the notes or the bills and tell you exactly how much. But I'm sure that just the amount that she took out of that envelope could have been almost a life-changing amount for that family. But to her, it's nothing more than change. It's like giving someone $3 instead of 2 to her. But to them, that could have been an entire extra meal or something.
2: Yeah, well, I think it ties into this, this theme that neither the Park family the Park family doesn't see the Kim family as human and the Kim family doesn't see the Park family as human. Right. And so, you know, making that kind of decision, like, Oh, you know, like off hand at a whim, like, uh, you know what, never mind, I I'll give him less because I can is certainly something that you would do if you have a little less empathy toward the person you're talking to. Um, what I, yeah, I thought this was interesting because it comes pretty soon after they're talking to the, the girl who works at the pizza place um, and she also counts out bills. And you don't see how much she gives him, but it's implied that like that that uh the Park family is giving them way more. Oh, um yeah. and it's and like she's giving them that entire stack whereas that the the their boss, right? Yeah. The little girl at the uh pizza, the shop, pizza yeah. shop. She like, you know, they cuts before they do it, but she's probably going to you know, slim them. I off mean, she even hills.
1: says that she's giving them a ten percent penalty because yeah. they only had three out of four pizza boxes folded properly. Exactly. Well,
0: isn't it? I thought it was interesting that even with four well-employed members of the family living under one roof, they still didn't have the means to change their uh, life. Like really, like they they could afford to survive, but it's not like they had like a significant change in well, how they were. living. I
2: think it's pretty obvious that the timeline is really is. Is really short. Between when uh Kevin gets first employed and when the mother gets employed is not much time at all, right?
1: Yeah, I don't think there's a definite timeline, but it definitely feels like it was no more than like a month, maybe a couple of weeks. Probably
2: two weeks is my guess. Yeah. Hmm. Which is kind of crazy. I mean, because uh the guy uh what's his name in the in the basement?
1: Um Gunsei.
2: When Gunsei when when they go down there again, he hasn't been fed for a week, which means that the housekeeper has been You're fired right. for just yeah. one week. Oh, right. I didn't right. even pick
1: up on that. So that is a it has been at least one week between the mother getting hired and them discovering the basement. Right, and
2: it all accelerates right because the very first day, uh, um, Kevin or Kiwoo mentions his his sister, and then uh, then she went on the ride home. Right, she plants the panties. And then they get the, the driver fired probably that night or the day, night after, right? Like it, it's it happens very quickly.
1: Yeah, I think there's a bit more of a gap between the... Um, The father being hired and the mother just because the father has built up enough of a rapport with the rich father that they're like talking about where the best braised ribs place is. And it takes longer to extradite the um, housekeeper, obviously, because she is so ingrained with the family. It's possible. How much time passes between
0: the mother getting hired? You said just a week he was down there? Yeah. Dang, they left her alone at the house after just a week?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is true. But I mean, that's another thing. I mean, part of that could just be like, oh, they need to be alone for plot. Part of it is the family is so naive. And they mentioned that so many times. They are pulling the wool over this family's eyes. And they could probably be be robbing this family blind without the wool being there. The family, Mm -hmm. they're willfully ignorant. They're not looking for any distrust.
2: And Kiwi only gets paid once a month.
1: That's true as well.
2: So it's possible they didn't make very much at all.
0: Well, I guess I got the impression that they weren't, they knew that that wasn't going to be enough to change their situation because they were so reckless. They were like, we're in this position. Let's take it for what it's worth, as opposed to like, let's play this cautiously and like, you know, get a bunch of money out of this so that we can change the way that we live our life. They're almost like, we're lucky to even be in this situation. Let's drink all their liquor while they're gone.
1: (laughs) And I think, again, part of that is that they recognize that the structure of the culture that they're in. They're either going to be caught out eventually or they're just not going to be able to move upwards as far as they want because of how society is structured. So I think they're smart enough to recognize that. And they're just taking whatever they can get while they can get it.
2: And I think it's also established pretty, and we've talked about this already, is that they're they're actually not that great of people anyway, right? Like they maybe they're forced into this situation, but I, it's them being kind of reckless or like opportunistic or, or not thinking like 20 steps ahead is probably a characteristic that they they share right it's we are the way the movie is framed we are disposed to be sympathetic to the kim family but they don't do a lot to like objectively that to make you really like them
1: yeah they come up with a lot of plans but as the father says plans tend to fall through so that kind of gives you insight that um, oh, that's actually a little bit of trivia I would like to mention. I don't think I wrote it down, but um, there's a brief scene where when they're first trying to get um, the poor father Kitek hired as a driver, and Kiwoo says to him like, "Oh, when you were um, a driver or a chauffeur, um, did you have much many experience with?" I believe it's Benz's, like the brand of car yeah, yeah, yeah. um with Mercedes-Benz. And the father says, Oh yeah, I think during this one job, and they're talking about whether it was before or after this one cake shop that they tried to run went bust. Later in the basement, Gunsei mentions or either he or the wife mentions that they are in debt because they were running a cake shop and it went under and they got money from loan sharks. And so I've heard from um, some interviews and just various posts about it online that this is a very Korean cultural thing, that it's almost like the housing market in America where there was a boom- The cake shop business? Yeah, there was a boom of everyone starting up these cake shop these cake shops because they were so profitable and they were easy to run and stuff. And then again, similar to the housing market, it just, Eventually, it was so saturated that it crashed, and like thousands, if not millions, of people were put into debt because of it.
2: Wow! So like when they say cake shop, that like that triggers something. In, yeah, like for Korean, Korean viewers,
1: that's like that would be like if the movie took place in America, and they were like Guns- realtors or something. it Guns- was like, yeah, after my real estate business flopped, then I was had to take money from debt collectors. That's and stuff.
2: hilarious but well, i mean, hilarious so, like, in like a really sad way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so well
0: like it's an, it's another example though of like capitalism being like, "Oh, you're not useful anymore? Well then be gone with exactly. you." Like you you might as well be dead because it i never got the impression that Mr. Kim or that that um the guy who lives in the basement were not hard workers or didn't try to succeed. You know, yeah. or didn't give it their best. It's just they got. I mean, Mr. Kim talked about all these businesses he worked for that failed. That's why he has such a colorful background. And this other guy, he tried his best, but it. it you know, he was a victim of the market. It's. Uh, you know, he couldn't predict that these these debts were going to be the end of him. And uh, you know, such is life under capitalism. Such is life
1: capitalism is the real parasite when you think about it
2: <laughs> <laughs> we were all thinking it all right i got i got a quote i got a, uh, a cool easter egg so um ram dam which is the meal that uh they make which is like noodles like ramen and sirloin steak
1: ramen and udon is the name ram don right Dan. right so
2: that's exactly yeah. it so this as far as they the, as far as bong john bong ho excuse me uh could tell this term ramdam didn't really exist until this movie
1: um so i'm gonna jump in here and offer a little bit of correction not to steal your thunder but um so (laughs) um from what i understand the it's more of a thing of like imperfect translation because apparently what they're actually saying in korean is japa or I probably butchered that pronunciation. But anyway, it's Jopaguri, which is similarly to Ramdon, a combination of two brand names of cheap instant noodle, right? Right. Um, and so, but like, you can't just say Jopaguri in English because no one would know what that means. But you can't also just say like, oh, just make a meal of two instant noodles, blended together because that's going to sound clunky. So we had to make up the term Ramdan.
2: Right. That's, that's what I meant, I guess. Yeah. Or that it's a... So it it was it was actually Darcy Parquet who was the translator for this movie. Uh, he was an American living in Korea, um, and he came. He had a bunch of kind of interesting translations. Uh, like he like the 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 uh, the app is not WhatsApp in Korean.
1: Yeah, it's Kakao Talk.
2: Right. So, but we didn't. Americans wouldn't know what that was. So he had to translate it to something that we would understand. You also see uh, Jessica says she says ten dollars. Yeah. Right? not, uh, what's the current, the currency? Won. Right. So it, it, it's all translated into a kind of a, an English or American perspective. And Ramdan is another example of that, um, of two brand names that came together to turn into something kind of brand new because they didn't like, really, they, even though this maybe concept existed, it didn't exist. The word didn't exist until this movie, which is yeah. kind of cool. Okay. The other thing, which I, this is a pretty minor one, but uh Kong Ho song who plays the father in this movie um, in uh, Snowpiercer, which is one of uh, Bong Joon-ho's other great movies, love that movie. Uh, he plays a a architect named Namgung sun or Minsoon, uh, who is locked in a freezer inside of the train. And uh, you may recognize that name as uh, the Namgung name, at least as being the architect of the house. So. Uh, th- as I saw some articles that were like, "Yeah, he just came up with this name, this fictional architect." Is like, actually, he already did once, and now he's got him. He brought him back in, basically. It's the
1: Parasite Snowpiercer cinematic universe. They're, they're not.
2: They might, they, I think they might be related. It's not the same name, yeah. right? Namgun uh, Hoijae uh, Hoi Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Um He's the uh, he's the architect in Parasite, and then Namgun Minsoon is the uh, uh, architect in. Um, uh, snowpiercer but uh not played by the same character but both Bong jun ho's uh, inventions
1: yeah um and another piece of trivia about kong ho song or song kong ho um He actually has worked with Bong Joon Ho many, many times. So um, I believe, I don't know if there was the, it was their first collaboration, but a movie that was sort of a star making moment for him was Memories of Murder, also by Bong Joon Ho.
2: And The Host as well.
1: Yes, he's also in that one. Um, And Snowpiercer, obviously. Um, So they're pretty common collaborators. And I believe I saw somewhere that Bong actually said that if, he didn't write the script entirely with um, Song Kang-ho in mind, but if he had rejected the script or said it sounded dumb, Bong wasn't going to make the movie.
2: Very cool. I like that. I like it when they, when directors have like a favorite actor and stuff. We see that a lot with our Wes Anderson movies. We do. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and Tarantino as well. All right, uh, B, you have some Easter eggs.
1: Yes, I have a couple of Easter eggs. Um, one that I think is really important to sort of reframe. I don't want to say this Easter egg you have to hear to like understand the movie because that sounds kind of pretentious or whatever. Um, but I think something to note is that um, so the end credits song, when the end credits are rolling, um, it's a song with some lyrics um, and it's obviously in Korean. It was written by Bong Joon-ho and sung by ki actor, Choi Woo-shik. So it's from the perspective of ki from the perspective of Kevin. Um, and the final... Um, the final name of the song, I believe, is um, One Shot of Soju or something along those lines. Soju is a common alcoholic drink in Korea, but the working title was 564. And the significance of that, which has been noted in a couple of interviews, is that 564 is the number of years based on the average salary Kiwu would, Ki would have given his social standing that he would have to work to earn that house. He would have to work 564 years to make enough money to make that sort of dream sequence a reality. Dang. Which wow. once you know that, like when you watch the movie, there's sort of that sense of like, you see the dream sequence and you're like, oh, happy ending. And then it fades down to him in the same shot as the opening and you're like, ah, he's not there yet, but maybe he'll get there someday. Like there's hope we can always move forward. And maybe if you work hard enough in capitalism, you can get there. No. No, absolutely not. It's impossible.
2: He might live to be five hundred sixty-four years old.
1: Uh, you never know, advancements in science, but
2: should've kept that rock.
0: <laughs> counterpoint counterpoint coronavirus. So checkmate,
2: Joey. Dang it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. No, I I that went way over my head. That's yeah, pretty awesome.
1: But uh that is something that you have to look up because there's no men- that was the working title of it. That was the rough draft title, okay. so Really, you have to see these interviews that I've linked in our sort of Google Doc for the show um, to like know that. But definitely that was something that I thought was Oh, yeah. And important.
0: all we'll put all these resources in the description. So yeah. any listeners who want to investigate further, um, you have that at your fingertips. Right.
1: Yeah next one b so then these next two kind of go together and it's sort of back to what you had said earlier joey about whether this captures a cultural moment this is not really a cultural moment thing but proof that some of the events in the movie are somewhat realistic um bong Joon ho has said that when he was younger i think around college age he actually did have a job of tutoring a rich kid and he was like I believe he was either lower class or like low middle class. So he was in like a mansion when he was tutoring this kid. And it was very similar to Kiwu's experience of just feeling like he's in a different world. And he was actually recommended for the job by his then-girlfriend, who is now his wife. Um, but he then also said that he got fired very quickly because he just talked to the student instead of teaching them math because he was very bad at math. Um. <laughs>
2: <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> um, so that was sort of part of the inspiration for the movie. And then another thing which I found, I really had to dig for this one. It was on a Reddit AMA that Bong jun ho did. Um, he said that the plot point about the peach allergy which a lot of people have pointed out was very interesting like who would have thought you could be allergic to peaches that's not a common allergy you would think of he says that that was also based on a college experience of his where a friend of his actually had a peach allergy and no one believed him so at one point one of them threw a peach at him and he went into like anaphylactic shock and had a reaction and that stuck with bong Jun ho with this that like imagery wow yeah. And then he uh, actually
0: while we're while we're talking about the peach thing, I wanted to bring this up earlier, but I loved the way that Mr. Kim turned around when oh, he yeah. held up the like napkin <laughs> the with the hot
1: on sauce face. on it. He's selling it so hard. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> yeah. I
2: love the I love the the extra like like reverberation on when, when uh Kevin flicks the capsule. You oh, know, it's like, yeah. It's like, a, it's like a, this deep like can I, can I do it? No, probably not. <laughs> deep, like, that just sounds like
1: you're poking the microphone it it's just
2: like this deep like you know echoey yeah flick
1: i mean that entire montage we didn't we there's so much to talk about so much i've been talking about um that we didn't even get to it but that montage the peach scene is just absolutely one of the standout Oh yeah scenes. that's
2: just so stunning it's amazing
1: yeah and just the way that it escalates as well, because at first they're just talking about like, oh, it'll be hard to get her out of here. So naturally your interest is peaked. Like, what are they going to do? And then it ramps up to, oh, they're going to like poison this lady with allergic reactions. That's horrible. Maybe she'll just get sick and won't be able to be there. Then they say she has tuberculosis. And it's like, where did that come from? Yeah, that was it was <laughs>
2: elaborate, but it was so beautiful. Oh, and, my gosh.
1: And the fact that it worked is the most insane part.
2: I loved it. Yeah. All right. Uh, any more?
1: um no that was all the trivia i had I, I have some more but i could go on for hours so i'm gonna cut myself off okay
0: here. okay that's fair um and we'll move on to our quotable moments and, and normally on affable chat we will actually play the movie like straight like we'll rip the audio straight from the movie so you can hear it uh in your headphones while you're listening to the podcast but this movie is in korean most of our audience, we're going to go ahead and assume doesn't speak Korean. Uh, so we're actually just going to say the quotes uh, so that we have something to go off of and talk about. Um, so who's got the first quote? Uh,
2: I think it's me. This is so metaphorical. <laughs> this is something that Kiwoo says over and over again in the movie. I think you said three times. Yeah. It does. It definitely does seem like he says it more. It is a wonderful catchphrase uh, for someone to have. Um, I, I think there's so much... About this movie that you could point to as being metaphorical, lots and lots of things that we've already pointed out. One of the other things we haven't quite mentioned as much is the like the uh, the the uh, the elevation of the poor family versus the rich family, and how they have to climb stairs over and over again to get to, um, up to the house.
1: Literal upper and lower class. Exactly.
2: Uh, they live in a sub basement. Um, and the people that are, the, you know, the, the poor family or the poor husband and wife uh, live underneath the house uh, down uh, all, many flights of stairs. So it's a, uh, that comes up over and over again. And uh, of course, every time he stepped on a staircase, I was thinking, this is so metaphorical.
0: Well, they also get like people piss right outside their window, like above them, sort of like pissing on them. And then when the, rain comes down they're literally flooded with sewage like the most extreme version of being pissed on uh is their entire house being flooded with sewage water um which i also felt like was metaphorical
1: i mean even in their house During the scene where they're searching for the Wi-Fi and then later again during the um, flood scene, you see that their toilet is above the rest of the house because the sewage lines are above them. They have to walk up these tiny stairs to get to the toilet, which is such a it's just such a striking visual of just it really puts into perspective instantly exactly where they are, both literally and metaphorically.
2: Cool. All right. What's our next one?
1: All right. Um, My next quote is from Ki Jung, and it's the day after she sort of infiltrates the family herself. I Googled art therapy and ad-libbed the rest. Then suddenly she's weeping. Crazy bitch. I couldn't believe it. And I just this really was a wonderful comedic moment that sort of peels the curtain back and alleviates any doubts that you have that, oh, maybe she does know about this stuff or like,
2: she had me fooled yeah (laughs) but how did she know about the first grade thing right that
1: i think was just a dumb guess i think a lot of times you'll see like con artists and people like you know like horoscopes and fortune tellers they'll say stuff that's just vague enough that if it applies it'll hit hard but if it doesn't apply you can just overlook it because if she had said no then she could have made something else up
0: well, I mean, uh, at the same time, it did look like she had some sort of impact uh, impact on young Dasong, uh, who true. had r- earlier been totally wild and crazy. But once uh, she tells him to go back to his room, he like bows to her and then uh, goes off very calmly. So maybe he somehow revealed that to her. That is know? also a possibility. Uh, so I, I think that maybe she was just really good at what she was doing, yes. <laughs> as well as. Kind of bullshitting.
2: Well, both uh, both of those things could be true. So, yep. All right. All right. Uh, You got another one, B?
1: Yeah. So this next quote is sort of the, in my opinion, this is one of the standout quotes of the entire movie. She's so naive and nice. She's rich, but still nice.
2: Not rich, but still nice. Nice because she's rich. You know, hell, if I had all this money, I'd be nice too.
1: And then, of course, this is the scene where they're all getting absolutely plastered in the park's living room and they're sort of having a debate the first segment of that quote is from Kitek the father the second is from chung sook the mother
2: yeah i also really like this quote um and i think it's something we've already touched on before but it's a uh it's a direct reference to how they can how being nice is a luxury right yeah. where he, you can afford to be a nice person if you can literally afford it. If yeah. <laughs> you if you have to scrape and and clamor and kill and poison people to get to to survive, uh, then you know being nice is not really one of the things you can afford to be.
1: Yeah, there's it- another line um, shortly after um, that he didn't. Put down as an exact quote but she says something along the lines of rich people money is like an iron it gets rid of all the wrinkles and creases and faults of someone and they're just pristine and like just it gets all the wrinkles out they're just they can do they don't have any baggage and so i think that that's also very relevant
0: i i I felt like that couch was almost uh, like a therapist's couch because (laughs) both families take their turn laying on that couch or sitting near the couch and talking about the other. When yes. you're you know, in this case it's the Kim family talking about rich people and then later on, or not that much later on, it's the Park family talking about poor people. Yeah, and know, it's, what it's a striking juxtaposition. Scene that is. You're right. Yeah, oh, very stri- striking. There's just another one where I'm like, Yes, another movie I didn't watch with my parents.
2: Oh, Good yeah. choice.
1: <laughs> Honestly, like I feel like I've seen some people complain about that scene and I really think that the entire purpose of it was to make you feel like you are the Kim family. You are trapped there and you're witnessing this even though you really, really, really don't want to and it's such a private moment that you would not normally see but because you've infiltrated this family you have to see this stuff along with all the nice stuff.
2: it's Yeah, it's another example of of how he humanizes both families, right? He shows them as being kind of lustful or impulsive in a way, um, as the same way that the Kim family kind of naively is like, uh, it's raining. I, I wonder what that's going to mean for their camping trip, you know? Like, maybe you should have realized <laughs> that a little sooner.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. All right, next quote.
1: Okay, um, this one. I'm very sorry to call on you so late. It's just that I forgot something in the basement under the kitchen. And this comes immediately after, at almost exactly the midpoint of the movie when the doorbell rings and the entire genre, the entire premise of the movie switches. And this line specifically is when you already kind of get a creepy vibe from her because she looks very disheveled. This is obviously the um, the previous housekeeper who's coming back because she forgot something or someone in the basement. And she already looks disheveled and sort of unkempt, and there's blood on her face that we never really find out what that was from. Um, But you're already uneasy, and then she says she forgot something, and just that moment of silence when you realize she's asking to be let back in. And you have to wonder if they're going to and how this is going to develop, and then from here everything just goes downhill.
0: It really is important to, yeah, um, realize this is where the movie shifts because before this, it's kind of this like fun family heist, right? Where they're getting away with everything, you know. Oh, oh, are they gonna get figured out? Ah, uh, nope. they got lucky. They did it. They pulled it off. Now they're all employed and they're getting reckless. They're, they're, you know, tugging on Kevin's ear and they're, you know, sassing each other and grabbing ass. Oh, when you know, dad, hoping like, nobody yeah,
1: when the dad grabs her butt. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like why would you risk that that's so
0: <laughs> yes and they were definitely getting reckless which for me was like a moment of tension but at the same time like it's them being so cavalier with this whole thing they think they're gonna get away with it um and then once the you know the old maid enters the picture again it just totally flips the movie completely upside down especially when they go down there to see why like what she's doing down there and she's <laughs> feet firmly on the wall hands above her head pushing the opposite direction it's like what the what is going yeah, on here that was
1: absolutely a moment of like okay i do not know what's going on in this movie anymore Right
2: when they said the basement under the kitchen i'm like i think i know where that is right like that's that area down there yeah, but the it storage turns room. Out there's another yeah. there's another basement under that and as soon as they move that thing and open up that door i'm like oh no
1: oh the chill the chills you get when you realize that she's screaming honey it's like the entire thing just clicks into place at that moment
2: yeah i thought they were gonna find a whole other family down there but just hiding that one guy was bad enough yeah (laughs) whoo chills all right next quote b
1: okay as fellow members of the needy please don't i'm not needy so then this, again, is a conversation between the previous housekeeper and the current housekeeper, the mother of the Kim family. And this ties right back into the whole class solidarity issue of there is no working together. There is no like like as soon as one of them has a slight leg up, as soon as one of them isn't literally constantly in a basement they think they're better than the other one and that they don't need to help them to keep going forward
2: oh yeah well i mean it makes sense that she she kind of tries to get rid of them right because she if she tries to feed that guy or or reveals that she knew about this and didn't tell them it jeopardizes everything that that family has worked for yeah. and to have them and then for that the whole switch when when it's revealed that actually uh right they that they had conned the entire family uh entire entire park family right suddenly it's like in her best interest that the previous housekeeper's best interest to get rid of them yeah so yeah it's exactly right like there's no working together here Um, they have every incentive basically to to turn on each other uh which is probably one of the reasons why um you know the rich just keep getting richer basically
1: another um sort of cultural note that i want to make here is that um the the word honey means um it's typically means like sis or older sister it's used as like an honorific for a woman who is older than you in sort of an endearing way and so that's the translation of it in the subtitles is kind of clunky but i don't think there was a better way to do it when the um previous housekeeper is saying like oh sis like we're both needy please help me it's really more of an honorific of her like showing like oh i respect you please be kind to me and then when it switches, and then the mother is saying like, "Oh, sis, we can work together." She says, "Don't call me sis, you filthy bitch." It's like, yes, <laughs> you are throwing it back in her face because she's trying to use the same right. deferential yeah, yeah. respect that you just denied her.
2: I think the context really helps with that because I definitely understood what she meant by that. It was kind of like a bro or like a yeah. Um, uh, I was thinking of the word, but I can't remember what it is. It, it's a, it's it does have a certain translation in english that's like a hey like we're we're on the same side right like we're we're uh you know we're the same in a way
1: yeah but i think that definitely i think the translation was kind of clunky and i think it only i I think that the fact that I have some experience with Korean stuff, because I listen to (laughs) um, K-pop, like, helped me a little bit in understanding that. But I also don't fault the translator, because, as you said earlier, they already did so much work making things more understandable for Americans and just non-Korean speakers. And really, the fact that English doesn't have honorifics other than, like, Mr. and Miss... Like makes it so hard to translate things like that.
0: Makes no, I, I think the context clues filled, at least if I felt like it got the meaning across. I mean, there's a similar thing kind of in uh, in Spanish where you use like to or usted. Uh, to kind of differentiate between like somebody that's like equal level as you, or somebody who's like your elder, or someone you're supposed to respect. Um, I, I think especially when she's like, "Don't call me that, you, you you filthy bitch." Like that was her kind of rejecting that trick almost. Oh yeah, uh, which really made it clear to me. Uh, okay, I I think we're ready to move on to the next quote, which is mine, and this is when right after Mister Kim ties up the guy who lives in the basement and he's looking around and really investigating this area that he lives in. And he says, how can you live hey, in a place? Do like... Want, this? Do you want me to be Mr. Kim? Uh, sure. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> how can you live in a place like this?
0: Well, lots of people live underground, especially if you count semi basements.
2: What will you do? You don't have a plan. I just
0: feel comfortable here. I feel like I was born here. Maybe I had my wedding here too. As for national pension, I don't qualify. In my old age, love will comfort me. So please, let me live down here. And um, I mean, to me, this was just like a statement of complacency inside the system. Uh, It's like a certain point where you say, it's not worth resisting anymore. I'm never going to, that's never going to get me anywhere. If anything, it's just going to push me further down. Maybe I'll just take what I I have and try to be happy with that. And I, I think that kind of... I don't know there's a larger narrative to that as to how that fits into capitalism because there you know there are definitely people who take all the risks they push and shove they try their best and through and they beat the odds and they're able to rise up but for every one of them there's hundreds of people who are just like no this is fine. Like, I'll I'll work the minimum wage job. I'll do the work that nobody else wants to do because I'm happy just – or at least I have decided that this is the best that I can get. And maybe that looks repulsive to someone who's achieved a higher level of, like, quote-unquote success. Um, But I think there can be an argument made for appreciating what you have, you know, as
2: as dismal as what this guy has is. It's – I mean, it's certainly like a – you're right that it's like a certain amount of complacency – but in a way, everyone in this story is living in Mr. Park's basement. you know like everybody kind of has everyone's relying on him to make the money so that they can live and that's kind of the reason why uh, what's his name Jun Singh?
1: Gun Gunse excuse me <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> one day I'll get it and it won't be this day <laughs> Gun Singh he said uh, he says respect right he's uh he he, he honors Mr. Park he hits the bu- he hits those buttons to turn his uh his um his light sign which is very snow piercer, by the way um (laughs) yeah like it's a in some ways it's like oh like you're judging me for living down here but like this is the best it's gonna get and honestly you should be so lucky like i don't have to worry about my house flooding like i always know where the food is gonna come from like i don't have to worry as much as you guys do it's you're right it seems like repulsive um but when you look at it from his perspective it's like eh not a bad deal <laughs> yeah
0: and and while we're talking about Mr. Park I feel like we have to bring this up I thought it was interesting the way that everybody kind of worshipped Mr. Park the successful oh, yeah. capitalist he was this almost like a god he was worth worshipping to these people um, especially the guy who lived in the basement he literally like sent him Morse code
2: messages he was basically to, like, supporting three them. different families yeah
1: There's actually um, a line that I noticed, um, I believe it was my second watch through. And again, this is one of the quotes, I had like 20 quotes written down, I had to cut some, but I'll bring this up since it's relevant to this. There's a line when they first, when the Kim family is first all secured their jobs and they're all sitting around and they're all drinking and it's right before the drunk guy shows up right outside their house for the second time. They're all sitting around. And this really struck me when I heard it or I noticed it for the first time, Mr. Kim literally says, "Let's offer a prayer of thanks to the generous Mr. Park." And having seen the movie and seen the literal worship that Gunse offers to Mr. Park, that line just hit so it really hit different that time. Yeah, it almost <laughs> seems
2: it almost seems sarcastic when Mr. Kim says it, but it's it's not. There's
1: there's a grain of truth to it. Yeah, because yeah. he's obviously he's being a little sarcastic with like treating his employer like a deity but at the same time he is the reason they're able to sit around and drink that beer and like relax and not worry about folding pizza boxes all night
0: what yeah, is uh i mean is it a cultural thing to just scream respect at oh people no he's just batshit
1: insane he's batshit yeah, insane okay okay yeah <laughs> No. no if you, if you was, go to korea if you go to korea and you stand in the middle of the street and you scream respect at some ceo's building they are not gonna understand that as a cultural thing
0: well i would be yeah. honored if somebody ran up to me and were
2: like
1: respect <laughs> respect
0: i and mean you just like, couldn't
1: hold it in yeah
2: the respect was overflowing yeah all right i got the next quote they say a ghost in the house brings wealth so at this point, uh, uh, the, the, the mother of the Park family, um, she explains the ghost story uh, that Daesong, um experienced when he was a young child. Um, and you see that horrifying ghost imagery.
1: Absolutely best shot of the movie. It's so
2: crazy. Just, just the top of his head coming up over the stairs. Oh, it's awesome. Um, and I, I really like this quote because it is ironic. And I think, although I don't necessarily agree with it, I think the opposite or the converse is true. A ghost in a house doesn't bring wealth, but wealth brings ghosts to your house.
1: That's a really oh. interesting way of putting it. So, I uh, think I think also it's worth noting the parallel between the ghost in the house bringing wealth and that being their sort of mascot they base a lot of their life around with obviously they have to because it affected da Song so deeply. But then that paralleling with what we talked about earlier with the stone and that being a symbol of bringing wealth, it shows that both families, no matter what position you're in, you're going to have some superstitions, whether they make sense or not.
2: Yeah. And it's, again, it's showing that, you know, they, they're not really that different, really, you know, deep down, they kind of have, they they, they think similarly, they, they, they do, uh, they have similar motivations and things, um, but it's just their circumstance makes them inhuman to the others. Yep.
1: All right. So um, my next quote, Kiwoo, you know what kind of plan never fails? No plan at all. No plan. You know why? If you make a plan, life never works out that way. And so then this is ki Tech the father of the Kim family, when they're they've been displaced from their home due to the flood and they're in the gymnasium or whatever building it is trying to fall asleep. Um, and I just thought that that was a very striking moment where his sort of mask falls away because throughout the movie um, characters in the family are constantly saying like, hey dad, what's the plan? Like the Wi-Fi's down, what's the plan to get that back? Um, like I'm gonna work to get this job, what's the plan? Um, just stuff like that. And so they constantly rely on him and he always has something. He always has something to come up with. He even says like, I have a plan about the family in the basement. Like we're going to work it out. I've got a plan. And then at this moment when he's at his lowest, well his lowest so far, um, he, he sort of has this moment where he gives up and he can't be the strong patriarchal father figure anymore. And he's up front with his son and says, you know what? I'm bullshitting. I don't know what I'm doing because if I, put a plan together like I have in the past, like with the cake shop or with other businesses, it's going to fall through and you'll get so demotivated. You won't even keep trying. So just wing it and hope for the best.
2: I also really like this line. I feel like it's, it's true for my own life. I, I often, when I was younger, I would, uh, I would, um, come up with like scenarios or circumstances or conversations that I wanted to have. And it never ended up the way that I expected. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to stop doing this because I'm making myself crazy. What if I just don't plan what I'm going to say and I go into it and act like a normal person instead of some sort of sociopath who plans out <laughs> every move? Like so, I I identify with this, uh, but I also really like your take about how it it it's had his lowest moment that he admits that like he's kind of winging it. He doesn't really know what's going on at all. So. Well, it's
0: also a departure from, like you said, like who we know Mr. Kim to be throughout the film. I mean, one of his best, one of my, one of his quickest uh, schemes that we saw him conjure up was when they were. Uh, fumigating the streets and he's like no leave the window open free fumigation <laughs> like dang dude this what is what a schemer to, to take full advantage of the opportunity like to choke so that he can and get it to poison fumigation. his family yeah yeah and 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 you but the way that it's shot too is you, through the smoke and his family coughing you see him determined he's folding boxes yeah. he, he does it's all part of the plan yeah and to see him go from that to this point where he's like what is even the point. Um, It it shows that's his arc, you know, to to give up on this whole really trying all the way until he gets to his opportunity to kill the god of capitalism, Mr. Park. You know, I, I kind of understood that that reaction he had his opportunity to like in the midst of this chaos in the midst of losing his daughter, he's like, you know what, I'm going to do something that is pretty much impossible in this system. And as I'm going to kill one of the gods, um, I'm going to kill somebody who's other people worship for his ability to survive in this system, uh, which like totally breaks the rules of uh, like the society, the way that the society is structured.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's depressing for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, it is depressing. But it's also I don't know. It's like I, I don't know what the I'll word i looking the, for
2: is. Like
1: one day I'm gonna p- kill Bill Gates too, <laughs> and
2: then I'll be the number one capitalist.
1: No,
0: it's not even that though. Is it's kind of like I Elon hate Musk. System, watch so out!
2: I have to destroy it. Like
0: not not even destroy the whole system, but just to cause chaos you know he's he's worked hard to be a part of it he's gotten so many different jobs he's hustled he's he's uh schemed he's done everything to try to to try to survive and to try to get ahead and it doesn't matter so why not just chop it off the head and you know whatever happens happens
1: i do think no no plan I, i i agree with that i do think also though that um when he killed mr park it's important to note that what spurred that on was the repeated motif of plugging your nose at the smell of a poor person or something being unsanitary so i think there is symbolism in him attacking the person who like you said represents capitalism represents success in capitalism but there's also something to be said for the fact that he's it also is along with the no plan, just an animalistic base impulse of just, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. He's been putting up with this shit all the time and it's only gotten worse today. And then finally, when there is lives on the line, this guy can't help himself but be rude and plug his nose. He can't even look past the fact that people are dying to just act normally. And again, that's not necessarily on Mr. Park. That's not something... I doubt he consciously was like, oh, wow, this guy's clearly homeless. I'm going to make a big show of pinching my nose so everyone knows that I don't like him. Like, it's just an instinct. But then it's also an instinctual reaction to just let that anger out that's been building up for this entire movie and most likely his entire life with all the the failed plans and all of the hardships he's gone through. It just all comes rushing out in that one moment.
2: You brought that home, B. All
1: right.
2: um, I think it's time for us to move on to our next section.
0: Joey, I believe you know what time it is. It is time for us to go
2: a little deeper. Deeper. Go ahead, B.
1: Okay. So there's an amazing quote from an interview. Um, If you could zoom in on the picture a little, Joey, so I can read it. Enhance. (laughs) Enhance. Computer, enhance. Enhance. Um, so this is an interview that Bong Joon-ho did and he's also said a similar thing actually in an interview that was in the iTunes extras that came along with this movie, which I didn't realize at first. Wow. Um, so, um, I was pretty happy that I purchased the version of the movie that included that as well. So the quote is, I tried to express a sentiment specific to the Korean culture, but all the responses from different, um... For audience. different audiences, were pretty much the same. Essentially, we all live in the same country called capitalism, which I thought was a really profound way of putting it, that at this point, obviously, there's national identity, and there's, like, if you're American, you're going to be going through different things than someone who lives in England or Korea or Japan or Taiwan or Germany or anywhere. But there are some things just by virtue of how our world works, economy wise, even if you're not in a capitalistic society, we all live, or a capitalistic country like government wise, we all live under capitalism because it's so dominant.
2: Right, and I actually have some inequality statistics from the uh, Washington Post to go along with that. So um, in Korea, the top 1% owned 25% of the wealth and the bottom 50% owned 2% of the wealth. But in, a, in America, the top 1% own 39% of the wealth, and the bottom 50% own less than 0%. Well, z- negative 0.1%. The bottom 50% oh. are actually in debt.
1: Yep. Dang,
2: dude. So they actually showed the graphs there, and like the gap between the rich and the poor, uh, or the Korea, fits within the, the, the gaps between rich and poor in America. So it's... Um, Income inequality is like rampant uh, across the board, um, and there are examples of it in Korea. And you see a pretty good examples of it in here. You see the the stark contrast between the very rich and the very poor. Um, but it's even worse right here where we live.
0: Yeah, I actually had heard. I mean, Bernie Sanders always talks about like the one percent and the 1%. how much wealth is at the top. But I didn't realize how much wealth there wasn't at the bottom. That's insane. God. Yeah,
2: it's, it is insane.
1: And again, it sort of speaks to the idea like there's this narrative that we've all been told since childhood of like if you work hard in capitalism, no matter where you come from, you can get wherever you want to go. Like there's always the anecdotes of like famous programmers or like entrepreneurs who like started in their mom's basement or their family's garage or whatever. But they never talk about the fact that those people often get financial support from their family or get grants from schools and stuff. And so it's not entirely just crawling your way from the bottom to the top entirely on your own merit. There yeah. are limitations.
2: I mean, listen to our episode of Pursuit of Happiness or our, our episode on uh, Sorry to Bother You if you want to hear more critiques of capitalism. Uh, we got Hell plenty yeah. on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I think it's time for us to deliver our ratings. B, why don't you go first?
1: All right, my rating is three out of four perfectly folded pizza boxes.
2: Very nice. I like that. That's exactly how many they did. I I gave this (laughs) movie... That was the joke. (laughs) I gave this movie uh, one bowl of delicious ramen cooked by my dear housekeeper, who I'm sure loves me.
0: (laughs) I give this movie a few years to finish high school, and when it enters university, I'll officially ask it out. God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm bringing it
1: back. That still gets under my skin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We came back to where we started. Um, So there we have it. There's our episode on Parasite B. That was extremely insightful. Um, we really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Uh, do you have any plugs anywhere, perhaps, on social media where people can find you?
1: <laughs> okay, before we get to that, I do want to say just for a moment that it really was awesome to be on. Um, Obviously, I heard of the podcast because I am related to Joey, but I would have... Once I listened to an episode or two, I knew I would have been a fan regardless of if I knew anyone involved. That's very
2: sweet, Pete. So
1: I'm just... Everything I've said about the show, trying to get people to listen to it, making memes about it—it's 100% genuine, and I really am honored to be making my podcast debut by talking about a movie that I love with you guys.
2: Wow, my heart Uh, is so touched. (laughs) (laughs) We'll definitely have you back to talk about—I don't know—something something something even more in depth. That's
0: right. (laughs) Well, but and where can people find you on social media? Yes,
1: yeah. Now that all that soft stuff is out of the way, (laughs) my Twitter username is at. Killjoy Heiju, which is spelled K I L L J O Y H Y E J O O. And it'll and, be in the
0: description. And yep. he, yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that's just a reference to my chemical romance and a k-pop girl group member that i like so that gives you insight to what i post on incredible yeah and
0: b (laughs) is constantly popping off on twitter so i definitely (laughs) recommend uh giving her a follow If you like some
1: of
2: her hot takes then you'll find plenty more on twitter that's right um but yeah that's gonna do it for our
0: episode on parasite joey what are we doing next next movie we're doing is
2: rango starring johnny depp
0: rango i've heard a lot about it have not seen it yet um and i'm excited to be talking about it on our next episode but if you want to hear your voice on the podcast you can call our phone number our uh we have a voicemail that you can call anytime that's 833-600-2428 yes that's 833-600-CHAT you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you listen to us, make sure you leave us a review. It really helps us grow. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at affablechat on both. Or you can send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com.
2: We also have a YouTube channel. It's called uh, Affable Chat.
0: That's right. And that's going to do it for this episode of Affable Chat. B once again, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.